This is Thoughts from the Metal Cavern, where only one opinion matters, and it's not yours. G'day there. How's your day been? Yeah, mine's probably been the same. But seeing as you have bothered to go to your podcast provider and choose this podcast to listen to, I guess I'd better expand on the day at hand. So this is what I've found interesting in the last day or so. This is the Almanac Report on Thoughts from the Metal Cavern. G'day there and welcome to today's discussion here on Thoughts from the Metal Cavern, the Almanac Report, whatever you want to call it. It's all just me dribbling on about dribble. So the first part of today's program is about the BBL draft. Now, did anyone out there who's listening to this actually watch this? Now, I can attest to you that I did, um, partly because <laughs> there was no one else home when it was on, and so I just thought I'd sit here and watch it. Uh, and secondly, my interest was peaked enough that I wanted to know how the process was going to go. Now, this is the first year we've had the draft. They've been trying to bring it in for about three years. And with COVID and other things, it didn't really work out. And the big reason it's been brought in this year was to draw in big-name international players in order to get, basically, the ratings up for Channel 7. So, look, I'll come back to that in a moment. So, Cricket Australia were basically going to bring in these big-name players and they were going to subsidise part of their salary uh, in order to get them to come over and play in the Big Bash rather than going to playing in the big money tournaments. The new one that's starting in South Africa and, of course, there's always the UAE and then there's the Pakistan Super League, which comes in and around that time as well. In essence, there are about five T20 tournaments being run around about the same time now. And one of the things that uh, Channel 7 has been upset about is the lack of big-name international stars in the Big Bash League. And it's part of their ongoing court battle, firstly in order to uh, not have to pay as much as they originally paid for this four years ago. This is, I think this is the fifth year of their agreement. And secondly, to actually try and get out of it altogether. Now, that's all got to do with COVID. More than anything else, that's got to do with the fact that they feel as though they've lost so much money through COVID that they had to try and cut down this. Now, this is what happened with uh, other sports. The NRL and the AFL went through the same sort of thing. And uh, Channel 7 have been trying to do this cricket. Now, Fox Sports, of course, are part of this as well. They initially made a bit of a murmur about it, but haven't said much else. And I think they're just allowing Channel 7 to run the show for them in order to uh, try and solve this. Now, we've already been over on a previous program about how... uh, big-name players aren't what really is going to make the Big Bash a better tournament and one that will rate better. It's more about cricket rather than big-name players. But the point was that this came around, and so we had some fairly well-known players, shall I say, from the T20 industry, and that includes guys like uh, Andre Russell and Dwayne Bravo and uh, Kyron Pollard from the West Indian side of things and other Big noters like Jason Roy and Faf Duplessis. We had Trent Bolt, who's come in and has just retired from Test Cricket in order to, or for international cricket, in order to sort of get this in here. 
We had Liam Livingston was the biggest, uh, seemed to be the biggest name player to come in here. He's he's uh, gone on in leaps and bounds in recent years. But all of these players who are being brought in, very few of them were actually going to be available for the whole tournament. Now, obviously, someone like Faf Duplessis, who's South African, he's going to play in the South African U220 League because it's his home league, and that's fine. That's, there's no problem with that. But then trying to spend a whole heap of money on him for only playing maybe half of the tournament just doesn't really going to sit well, I wouldn't have thought. And as it turns out, it's pretty much exactly what happened and with the draft. Now, I could, you could easily say, again, as I come back to Channel 7, that these players were brought in by Cricket Australia to appease, try and appease their media partners. Uh, and in the long run, what happens? What happened was that cricket happened. <laughs> it's hard to believe, isn't it? Cricket happened. So each club went in. Of the eight clubs in the Big Bash went in under the conditions that were provided for them through the draft process in order that there was a certain... You had to take a platinum player in your first pick. And then your second pick, you could take a platinum or a gold. Your third, you could take a gold or a silver. And your fourth, you could take a silver or a bronze. So obviously, the amount that you could pay for a player would drop depending on their level in the draft. Uh, But they went in with... All the clubs went into the draft process knowing how they wanted to proceed and who they needed to recruit to both win this season's tournament and to stay within the confines of their $1.9 million salary cap. So it wasn't to go out there and put together a squad to entertain the masses or have millions of viewers tune into Channel 7's coverage, but it was to win games of cricket. And so what happened? Well, the most interesting thing for me that happened is that the Scorchers passed on their first pick. Every team had to pass on one of those their four rounds because you can only have three international players. So the Scorchers passed on their first. So they're basically saying straight from the start, we don't want a platinum player. We don't. There was no one there who we were interested in, so we want to pass that so that with our second pick, we can go for either platinum or gold, and then we could go for who we wanted. That was immediately, that was massive. And from that point on, the draft was pretty much a waste of time. Now, we spent the whole first two rounds, or probably three rounds, of our special guests, uh, like Hussey and Darren Lehman and, of course, uh, Mark Howard being there, Kath Lochnan, all talking about Andre Russell. Oh, Andre Russell's still available. Are you going to take him? And they'd say, uh, no, we're going to take so-and-so. Oh, and they'd come, oh, well, Andre Russell's still available. You wouldn't believe it, would you? He's still available. Who are you going to take? Uh, we're not taking Andre Russell. We're taking someone else. So we went through the first two rounds, and there was... Never a doubt that that had to be, simply had to be that there were going to be platinum players who missed out. Now, Faf Duplessis was the first person to nominate for the draft. He was the first person to be pushed by Cricket Australia saying, we've got Faf Duplessis, he's going to be in the Big Bash League. Faf was not picked. (laughs) Andre Russell, spoken about through the whole show, the first hour of the show, not picked. Dwayne Bravo, not mentioned. Kyron Pollock, not mentioned. Jason Roy, who's made about five runs in his last 15 innings, not mentioned. None of them got picked up by any of the teams. And that just showed 
how ludicrously stupid this draft ended up being for the Big Bash League. It achieved pretty much nothing. If there had been no draft at all, then some of those five players I just mentioned probably would be playing in the Big Bash League because they would have been negotiating with the team straight up, they would have negotiated a price that they wanted, and then they would be in the team for the half the year that they're going to be, and then they would nick off. But because they got the draft, because they brought these players in who had their prices set by Cricket Australia, all the clubs looked at them and just said, they are overpriced for the amount that they're playing for us, and as it turns out, we've looked at everything, they don't fit into our scheme of things the way we want to play the game, so we're going with someone else. So Channel 7 would have been saying, here are all these guys that we can promote through the year. We're our cricket coverage. We can promote Andre Russell, Faf Duplessis. These are the guys you're going to see on Channel 7 this year. And now they can't do it. So what does Channel 7 do now? I can't wait to see how they approach this now. Do they now have a go at Cricket Australia and say, oh, you shouldn't have done this, otherwise this would have worked? Because they're the ones who push this. They're the ones who push Cricket Australia into a corner to say, you must get bigger name cricketers into this tournament to make more people watch it so more people will see our ads and more people will watch our coverage and we can make more money. And that hasn't happened. And I think it's pretty. it was really interesting listening to Ricky Ponting, who is the, the head of cricket for the Hobart Hurricanes this year. And he's he spoke really, well, all the coaches did, but he spoke in particular. And it, was, it made you realise that they weren't there to take up the players that Cricket Australia and Channel 7 may think are worth the entertainment value they provide, but to find players who fitted in with the players that they already had under contract, to fill the holes they had in that squad, and to ensure that the players that they chose would mould and meld into the team dynamic on and off the field. And that's why he went for a guy like Shadab Khan and and Azarali and, and these kind of guys who he knew from coaching overseas and this kind of stuff, would fit what the Hurricanes already had. And you look at the Hurricane squad for the Australian players they've got. They've got Ben McDermott, Matthew Wade, who's just killing it over there in the 100. Darcy Short, Tim David, um, Nathan Ellis. Um, they've also got uh, Billy Stanlake now. So you would think, looking at their squad, you'd say, well, already their Australian players cover most of those bases, so what did they need? Well, they need a spinner. You get Shadab Khan, who can also bat and is also excellent on the field. But where was he in all of this? What, how would he have been approached if there was no draft? He's played for the Sixers, of course, and I'm pretty sure the Sixers would like to have kept him, but that's not the way it was. So all of the players that were chosen were basically ones, more or less, who could be here for the majority of the tournament. It wasn't about their star attraction. It wasn't about how much they cost. It was more about, do you fit our team dynamic? And how long can you play for? And that's massive. You look at the Thunder who picked up David Willey, who got offers from all these other things, and he said, no, I want to come to Australia for the whole of the summer. I'm going to bring my family out, and I'm going to play this tournament in Australia with my family. And the Thunder picked him up. And they've got a pretty good T20 player as a bowler and a bat and in the field. So that kind of player is worth more to the Thunder than, say, someone like Andre Russell because he's going to be here for the whole summer. So Cricket Australia, I feel, were forced into this by their media partners. And I think they've found that realistically, 
it's a dud. And I would like to think that this won't happen again. Now, I'm sure it probably will, but I think it'll be under different circumstances and it'll be played out a different way. Because there's a lot of players who are picked that no one, some people didn't even know, the Afghanistan player who's going to play for uh, the Sixers, the spinner, looks like a good player, but no one knows him because we don't get to see Afghanistan play. And that is exactly how the draft should work, but it doesn't help the media players who now have to try and promote a guy they don't know. Anyway, like I said, I hope that the draft goes out the window and I hope that the clubs are able to uh, negotiate with their own way to get international players into it. But even so, a really interesting uh, way of seeing how the clubs approached their um, players for this season, for their squads, and the way that they want to play. And for me, that's what I got most out of from the draft. Not the players, not the way it ran, not the way, not the excitement of whether Andre Russell was ever going to get picked, but just the way they all went about choosing the players that they did because they fit into a team dynamic and because they were here for most of the tournament. Really interesting stuff, and let's hope that the Big Bash thrives now rather than worrying about who the hell's going to play in it. Yesterday, the second one-day international between Australia and Zimbabwe took place up there in Townsville. And for people like me who were at work, it was always a matter of, well, you know, hopefully it'll stretch out and I'll get to see the last couple of hours when I get home from work. No, it was all over before 1.30. <laughs> and once again, Zimbabwe batted first. Um, so that is a problem at the moment. Like Both games now, uh, Australia's won the toss and elected to field first. Uh, now, obviously, that's uh, good for them, the way that they decide they're going to play it. But it doesn't do much for those who want to watch cricket. I mean, surely we'd all much rather see Australia bat first and bat their whole 50 overs and then see how Zimbabwe go. And then the game might go for more than the four hours that this game went in total. Because Zimbabwe got bowled out for 96 in just under 28 overs. And then Australia got them two down in just under 15 overs. So it didn't even go for 50 overs. It was more. It was almost a bloody T20 game. Um, so 96 for Zimbabwe, and that's disappointing, and they were just completely overwhelmed. Stark got three wickets early with his uh, swing and pace. Uh, Hazelwood got one as well, and then it came down to the back end. Ashton Agar, who came in for the injured Mitch Marsh, took a wicket. Cam Green picked up two for seven after his five for the other day, so having played so many one days and only picking up one wicket. He suddenly picked up seven in two games. And Adam Zampa picked up three, uh, which will make him a lot happier with his lot uh, than the other day. We also picked up three, but went for a few runs as well. Uh, and then the Australian innings came along. Uh, Warner and Finch were both dismissed early. Surprise, surprise. And it was up to Smith and Carey to get the team home, which they did comfortably. 47-9 out of 41 for Smith. 26 off 33, not out for Carey. Uh, two down in the 15th over. And um, it was the 
The young uh, left arm fast, well, the big young left arm fast bowler for Zimbabwe. No, I can't even pronounce it properly. Nagar, Nagar, Ning, Yeah, you know. Let's not even try. I've got to further that out. I'll find that out for the next episode, how to say it. Navara, I call it to say. It'd be much easier just to call him Navara, but it's Narava or Nangarava, something like that. He bowled really well again, uh, and he looks a real prospect. Uh, I hope that uh, Zimbabwe take care of him and, and keep pushing him along. But at the moment, it's, it's, uh, it's a David versus Goliath sort of thing, and Zimbabwe would have known that coming into the, into the tournament. Uh, they would hope to have uh, done as well as they did against uh, India over there at home before they came over. They've got one more game left to try that. So with any luck, Australia will bat first and we'll see how they go under the pressure of having to actually put a total on the board. And then we'll see how Zimbabwe can go in chasing that. Once again, uh, a couple of things that came out of it. Australia's bowling still looks underdone a bit, but... uh, when you've got Stark and Hazelwood bowling as well as they have taking wickets, that's always a positive going forward, especially for the New Zealand series coming up next week. Uh, Marcus Stoinis bowled four overs today, so it was good to see him rolling his arm over to know that he's able to uh, contribute in that way. Uh, and of course, Cameron Green again just looks an amazing prospect, and let's hope that uh, he can remain injury-free. On the batting side of things, well, Finch got a good ball today. It went across him and he edged it to a second slip. But again, it was the same sort of way, the shuffle at the crease. Perhaps he could have left it. He just doesn't know if the ball's coming into him or not. And once again, it leaves open the question, how much longer do they go with Aaron Finch before they really need to pull the trigger? Uh, and as I've said before, and I think we all know the selectors are very reluctant to do that and are unlikely to. David Warners was a strange innings. He basically decided he's going to play this like a T20 game and threw his wicket away early on uh, for 13 off nine uh, when he could have been more circumspect but still aggressive and gotten to the total himself. Now, I know in the long run of the game, it doesn't matter. Uh, but it's still something to look at with Warner at the moment. He's obviously... His ability to defend is almost non-existent and he has a lot of trouble with balls that are just maybe a little fuller than a good length. He really doesn't like to get behind the ball anymore. He's always pushing at it with his hands and jumping around the crease and not really being still. Um, So you can see that it's a shallowing of his uh, ability, I guess is the way to say. He's, he's, He's on a downward trend that it doesn't look like being able to recover from. Uh, so that we eventually will get to a point where his form will not recover. Um, yeah, he made runs in the first game, and that and that's all fine. But at the moment, he's he's, he's giving chances, and he gave a few in the first innings. Uh, in this innings, it just didn't look brilliant. Um, and again, we've got guys there who are busting a gut to get into the team. Uh, and at the moment, I guess I'm talking about, say, uh, Travis Head and... Uh, ben McDermott, the two obvious answers who were doing the job in Pakistan and did so well in Pakistan. Um, at what point do we say we really need to move on from this? I mean, the next World Cup for the one-day uh, aspect of things 
is still 14 months away. Uh, can these two really be in this position in 14 months, looking the way they do and scoring the runs they are? That's what concerns me. And because we've got so little one-day cricket, really, in this day and age, there's no such thing as five-match series anymore or anything like that. They're all two- or three-match series, and they've sort of gone in the blink of an eye, and then you suddenly have three months before you play any again. We can't wait forever to sort of think about what we're going to see the team be in 14 months' time when we go to India for that one-day World Cup. Um, Anyway, something we'll no doubt discuss for all of that 14 months from this point on. That's all for today's edition of the Almanac Report. Thanks for tuning in, and I hope you'll come back and check out further episodes down the track, right here on the podcast, Thoughts for the Metal Cabin. You have been listening to a Metal Cavern production.